and welcome to the Deep Bible Studies podcast where we discover, explore, examine, and practice the Word of God. I'm your host, Claudia Rivera Guevara, and before we get started, I want to wish you guys a happy and blessed new year. I really hope you had a great end of the year and had an opportunity to just meditate upon the Word of God and the Gospel. And I also hope that you're ready to go deep into the Word of God, and you have been going deep into the Word of God. So take your Bible, your notebook, and let's get started. So we left off on John 6 before Christmas, uh, specifically after Jesus explaining to the crowd in Capernaum that he is the bread of life and speaking about the Father's will. So John 6, 34 through 40 says, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I would say that this was almost a climax, you could say, of the chapter, because, I mean, he fed the 5,000, which was a sign preparing for this I am statement, and then he's talking to the crowd in a very real manner. If this is the same crowd that had political, social, and selfish intentions to make him their king. Rather, instead of instead of for who he is, the son of God, they did it just because of their desires. They wanted to be freed from Rome. So we will see in the next two weeks how after this statement and the message that goes along with it, the crowd begins to turn against Jesus when they were just a couple of days ago trying to make him their king. So we're going to start seeing the crowd's conversation and how Jesus rebukes them because of their unbelief and sinful desires. And finally, we will see Jesus repeating his message concerning who he is and what the Father has sent him to do. That is basically the outline for this chunk of a passage that we will study this week. So verse 41 says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. So let us really quickly read this verse from Exodus 16:2. That actually is a mirror image of the crowd's reaction to Jesus' statement that he is the bread of life, that he came down from heaven and that he is equal with God because he is God. It says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So the Jews, like the ones in Jerusalem and Galilee from the passage, here were angered because they wanted to go back to Egypt because they didn't have food, and they grumbled even after the food came from heaven. And yet, in the passage that we're studying, we see the very eternal bread of life. He's in front of them. And they still grumble because their hearts are so hardened. So I do think it is important to point out something that John MacArthur wrote in one of his commentaries. It says, quote, In the gospel, the term Jews is often associated with hostility towards Christ. It is used ironically to indicate the incongruity of the rising hostility toward the Messiah. And I would add that they were anticipating from the scriptures and prophecies for so long. 
But in accordance to mankind's hardened and sinful hearts, it makes sense. The Israelites healed their own prophets. Jesus is the great prophet, and even the scriptures say this. Let's look at Isaiah 53, 3-4, and what it says. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So he was crucified. That's the most humiliating and brutal death for only the worst criminals at the hands of his own people as we saw in Isaiah. He literally came to die for them and they killed him. And in the same chapter, verses 5 through 6 and 10 through 11 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cursed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, and his soul made an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So verse 42 says, They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So John 4.44 says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And this is exactly what we were just talking about and what we see here. They are merely seeing him on a human level. He is a mere fellow Galilean to them. Therefore, their bitterness and hostility grew because they were rooted in the unbelief. So John MacArthur very well explains that Jesus' death was impending because hostility resulted everywhere he went. The next couple of verses say, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So we will talk more about this next time. But let's just listen to the passage this was quoted from, Isaiah 54, verses 11 through 14. O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of a gate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your wall of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror it shall not come near you. Again, that is from Isaiah 54. Just in general, but specifically I pulled it out from verses 11 through 14. I really recommend studying that for next episode. But let's move on to verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. We've seen this a couple times now. Jesus compares the manna, the earthly bread, with the true bread himself. And though the manna was a wonderful gift from God, they could not eternally sustain the people nor offer salvation. But the true bread is now here. He is in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. Verse 50 says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this was not a literal statement. Many Christians were persecuted in Rome because people thought that they were cannibals. But that is a total twist of scripture and they completely took it out of context. This is prophetic language. It refers to his sacrifice on the cross that would come soon. You see that obviously when he says, And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He would lay down his life paying the wages of sin, which is death, but being completely innocent. For he didn't sin. Being the son of God, he voluntarily and willingly took the punishment and died, finishing the atoning work. He would be merited our sinfulness so that we would legally be declared not innocent, but righteous by his merit. And I kind of pointed that out and through the passages that we were reading, I would constantly point out the word righteous because we're not declared innocent. We committed these sins, but we're declared righteous because of him. Why this plan? Why a plan? Why the gospel? Because God's forgiveness is not arbitrary. It's just because he is an orderly and just God. I mean, my mom tells me that this is one of the reasons she truly came to Christ because God is just and he didn't just say, I love you, so I forgive you. No, he is a just God. He's not a corrupt, quote unquote, merciful God. Instead, he himself took the punishment meant for you and for me and legally declared us righteous. That is mercy. Not, I love you, so forget it, I forgive you, you can sin all you want. No, but only that reconciled to us and adopted us into his family, into his eternal family. He didn't just forgive us he, and declare us righteous, he did that. He is our savior, he is Lord, and he is a treasure, and we win him, he is his father. So when he says that life that he will give to the world is his flesh, he means this incredible redemptive plan ordained by God before the world was even made. This is the very plan that God says right after the fall of man. Like what? That literally is right when they sinned. The first time in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall strike his heel. How he loves us. He's so holy and holy and holy. I mean, right off the bat when Adam and Eve literally sinned and sure you could say but it was just a fruit no that is sin God is holy lying stealing cheating that's wrong it is punishable by death that's why we die and it would have been perfectly just of him to destroy them but he didn't instead 
Just as he is personal and wise with the creation of the world, the moon, the stars, the universe, the galaxy, DNA, birds chirping, laughter, music, food, sunlight, waves, and everything else, he didn't just boom these into existence. No, he took his time. He created in seven days. In his infinite intelligence, he crafted a redemptive plan where his glory would be shown to mankind like never before. And he would personally and justly call sinners into communion. That is pure wisdom, pure holiness, and wow, no greater love is there than for such lowly sinners like us. Like, I want you to think of your sin, the weight of it, and yet he gave his life so that you wouldn't have to face that. We will never face that wrath. Just think about that. Think about this passage, that verse, the fact that he said, I will give my flesh. Think about it, and I hope to see you next week. Stay tuned. You can find more information on our website, www.deepbiblestudies.com, where you will also find the calendar to go along with the book that we will be studying. You can also find us on Instagram, at Deep Bible Studies, and Facebook, where you can know every single time we post a new podcast. Also, we have an email, contact at deepbiblestudies.com, where you can ask us any questions and we will be sure to get back to you. I hope you have a wonderful day and see you next time.